this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. edition of the Hop Nerd Podcast. Today is super duper special. So we have hashtag RedbeardSafety Nate Brayman joining us. And this is just a super awesome episode. Before we get started, make sure you head over to the website www.thehopnerd.com. Follow along on all things social media at The Hop Nerd, except for Twitter because it is super duper special. It is The Hop Nerd 1. Send me an email, thehopnerd at gmail.com. All that kind of cool, fun stuff. Get into contact. That is the best part about doing this whole thing. So this turned out to be a really awesome and really, 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 really long episode. Uh, Nate and I went for about two hours straight. So we're going to break this down into two episodes. You're going to get one this week, one the following week, I think. So that's, let's see. Let's see. See if that's what happens. But I won't hold you up anymore. Let's jump right in. Well, are you on? Are you? Are, I just want to make sure. <laughs> okay. Well, let me let me do this. So I will, I'll just I just hit record. So we'll start right here. Okay. Great. If, if you can hold on to that for just a second, just just okay, a split second. Hold it. So what I want to do before we get started is I want to throw the introduction out there, right? So um, wait just a second. Let me get everything pulled up here so we can throw out the introduction and then we can get started. <laughs> yeah. Take your time. All righty. So I am here with the one and only Nathan Brayman, and you go by Nate mostly, right? I mean, I think that's correct. Yeah, Nate's good. Nate, so we'll, we'll, we'll go with Nate. Nate's easier for me. The one and only hashtag Redbeard Safety. Does it include safety in there as well, or is it just hashtag Redbeard? I, I keep trying to... I just go by hashtag... Just Redbeard. There we go. So hashtag Redbeard, the one, the only, the great, the amazing. Most of you, if you're listening to any of my stuff, you probably you're probably listening to his. You've seen us go back and forth through all that kind of fun stuff out here. So I'll turn it over to Nate and let him introduce himself a little bit. Uh, so go ahead, Nate. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me on, Mr. Hopnerd. It is an <laughs> honor. I saw you on LinkedIn, and I started seeing your comments, and I'm like, man, this guy and I, we just we sync up really well. So it's an honor to be here. Actually, for the second time, we tried to do this earlier, and I had a phone call and ended up talking for like two hours or something <laughs> like that. It was, it was crazy. Um, yeah, so a little bit about me. Um, I started my safety career as a firefighter in the Marine Corps, and I was an airport firefighter, a crash crew, um, and then ended up getting injured, con- continue on as a firefighter. And so I decided I wanted to, you know, use the bill and, and try to get educated and uh, uh, started out arson investigator. Um, so I took arson investigation classes, got my fire science degree, um, and uh, ended up realizing that arson investigation isn't really that great of a career. There's not a lot of jobs out there and they're very rarely open. So decided I wanted to continue on with my schooling, uh, ended up switching over to safety and I uh, got my bachelor's and my master just went on to get my master's degree in occupational safety. Um, so, and that was graduated, uh, 2012, uh, and then got hired on in a very large fortune 100 utility company. 
uh, as a safety performance manager, which is uh, basically just a, a corporate safety manager. And, you know, I found that it actually has been a, a really unique experience being able to be at the corporate level because there's 23,000 employees in this company and I get to see all these different operations and all these different safety teams and I get to see what works in some places and what doesn't work in some places. And so it's been quite an education. Um, and you know, that's mostly where I draw from when it comes to the kinds of things that I talk about on LinkedIn. It's, you know, I've seen this tribe before, or I see the repercussions of this goes wrong or, or, you know, the approach of just, you know, a heavy, you know, the iron fist approach of just scaring the hell out of your employees and you know, where that leads, you know? Mm, right. <laughs> and, uh, so I get good examples. I get bad examples. That's where I draw a lot of my inspiration from when it comes to the content that I put out on, uh, on LinkedIn. So if you want to find my content, go to hashtag Redbeard. Just follow that hashtag and you'll, you'll find my stuff. Yeah. And there's a ton, you, you, you put a ton of amazing, uh, things out there. I, I try to reshare a bunch of it because as you said, I think we, um, we were kind of on the same wavelength, <laughs> I think, when yeah. it comes from that. And it's, I think some of it has to do with some, some similar background there. You know, I mean, I, um, I don't share this a lot, but I, I started in the fire kind of service as well in a kind of volunteer capacity and then kind of went into more of a paid capacity there and then rolled into the nuclear Very industry cool. and, you know, working for large maintenance and construction contractors throughout on these massive projects. So getting to see it at the pointy end and work as a pointy end safety practitioner is way different, right? And you, uh -huh. you get to actually see um, how great certain things are and how detrimental other things are um, exactly. as, as it comes to the actual workforce. Uh, and I think that's what's super interesting about, uh, not to kind of toot my own horn here or toot yours, but I think that's what's super interesting <laughs> about about the posts that we see from kind of pointier end safety practitioners in general um, is mm -hmm. that they're a little more real, right? It, yeah. it, we kind of get more to the nerve because it's stuff that's usually been bothering us for, <laughs> for quite mm -hmm. a while. Um, so in, he kind of even diving into that vein a little bit, um, you're part of this whole thing, hashtag safety justice league too, right? So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, that was started by, uh, Abby Ferry and Jason Lucas. Mm. Um, you know, the way I got into that was, uh, well, the way it started was Jason Lucas reached out to me and he, he was, uh, doing what he calls building his tribe. Right. And, uh, he reached out to me and says, Hey, I really like your stuff. And, you know, we should, we should collaborate. And, um, and he pulled in Abby, he pulled in Jason Maldonado and, uh, we just kind of hit it off. And, um, I can't remember who it was now. Jason said that they kind of tongue in cheek said, you guys are like heroes, like superheroes of safety. Hmm. And together you're like a safety justice league. <laughs> and, uh, and then we we're just kind of laughing about it on like a, you know, just like a chat with just, you know, just the four of us. And, and, uh, we kind of, it just kind of took off. It kind of stuck, you know? Oh, yeah. And then, and then like a couple of days later, I was thinking about it and I said, you know, that's really marketable. Mm -hmm. Safety Justice League. There's just a good, it's just, there's something there. And so I bought the, I bought the domain, um, uh, for like $8 cause right. I thought, well, you know, eight bucks, <laughs> might as well just sit worth, on it. Worth the gamble, worth the gamble, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Cause you know, you know, one of these, uh, sly guys out there are going to, they're going to buy it and try mm -hmm. to sell it to us later. So I thought nah, I'm going to get on top of it. So I'm glad I did. We got it. We got it. And then. After a few weeks, uh, you know, I was going to wait to see, you know, how much traction it got, how responsive the other team members were. And it's like, we talk every day, like all the time. Yeah. 
and were so supportive of each other. And I have so much admiration for those, uh, for those guys, uh, Jason, Jason and Abby. Um, and, um, uh, you know, I decided one weekend, I thought I just had, it just hit me. I'm like, okay, I'm going to build the website. So I just dropped like 160 bucks and just, um, built the website up in a day, less than a day, like took me like three hours. Mm. And, um, and then, uh, uh, improving it and advancing it from there. So, um, we just uh, talk, we're talking about starting our own podcast, which we'll definitely have you on yeah, sometime. Yes, totally should. And I'll, I'll I'll plug I'll plug the Jay Allen show here a little bit too because you guys just did that right not not too long ago, and yep, I, I dove yep. into listening to that. That is a awesome episode. So if you haven't listened to that, that's a good place to uh, really go down that hashtag Safety Justice League road. And I I love that. I just have to say that is super marketable. It's awesome. I love it. It's just cool. So awesome. that's just that's thank just you so much. Super cool. Super cool. So, and we love Jay. Yeah, of course, right? How can you not? I mean, yeah. Yeah, so, <laughs> Jay's great. Absolutely. So make sure you check out that episode. Check out the rest of the stuff over there on the Jay Allen Show, too. It was formerly the flagship show. Right now it's the Jay Allen Show. So mm-hmm. run over there and check that stuff out. Jay's got tons of amazing stuff, tons of amazing people on, um, including the Safety Justice League. So super neat. Uh, before we kind of yeah. went down that, that path, we kind of started talking and um, – we had to jump in and do a quick intro because we didn't want to miss anything, right? I told you to hold for just just a second, uh, but we were we were kind of having this this uh, this pre conversation on the fact that um, I didn't really mean to, but I kind of sort of stirred up like a hornet's nest around this whole pyramid thing and safety triangle. And I mean, I can I think my my opinion on it's pretty well known that I think it's kind of crap. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently from the, the massive amounts of hate mail that I got I just received in my email there's a lot of people that are really really in love in love with that pyramid that triangle um, people just really want to hold on and believe in that predictive capacity of mm-hmm. lower data for some reason Yeah. what do you think yeah and <clears throat> it, you got me thinking today about it and we talked about it a little bit was it last week? Mm, yeah. You know, when we were talking on the phone, um, and I actually released a video on, it's on my Redbeard playlist on YouTube. Um, if you type in Redbeard Sage on YouTube, you can find all my videos on there. Um, I have maybe 40 of them. And if you look oh, through them, you'll find one that says defending Heinrich's triangle. Mm. So this is going to be a good conversation because I agree with you. Um, I don't, but, but it, it's nuanced, you know? Sure. So, so, okay, so the common misconception about Heinrich's triangle that you don't like, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but right. what you don't like about it is when people look at the first aids and the near misses and they say, if we only focus on those down there and shrink that, then the whole pyramid will shrink. Right. Right. So what they're doing is, is they're um, drawing this logical kind of like a, trying to draw this logical conclusion that if we reduce the number of paper cuts and stub toes that we have, that will translate to fewer fatalities. Right. I think that you and I both agree that that's not, that does not follow. For sure. You know? Yeah. Okay. And so that's what I think. That's my problem. The triangle, it's the, it's that interpretation of the triangle. I do think that the triangle in and of itself, if you just look at it, it is, it is probably true that there are fewer fatalities than there are recordables. Mm-hmm. There are probably fewer recordables than there are near misses and exactly. dates. So I think that's fair. So I, I don't have a problem with the triangle as it stands because I think it's a fair representation. What I find is com- combining the triangle with hop. Right. 
and this and this is why is because hop is a focus on building a system and a culture and it's sort of like um i was thinking of a really cool analogy for it when i was driving home today i wanted to share with you so sure. imagine that a first aid or a near miss is a small boat a small ship maybe even a toy boat the near misses are toy boats and then maybe the the first are like you know small little dinghies and then you have your recordables that are like the yachts. And then you have your fatalities, which is like, you know, like Titanic. Right, right. right. You have all these different sizes of boats and the size of the boat is relevant to this, to this outcome severity level of the incident. And all in together in a pond. Well, if you improve, the, if you change the water level, right? Like if you build the system up then the water will rise it, it, and, and it will it will change the position on all of those all those boats equally sure. you know so that's why i think focusing on the system by, by by building a system that's so robust that you eliminate all types of errors hmm. by you know, three-way communication or peer review or self-check those kinds of things right. um you can reduce the number of errors on reports hmm. and you can also reduce fatalities because you're going to be working that risk out of the system and improving our culture overall. And that will affect the entire pyramid, all types of errors. Mm -hmm. So it won't, it'll, it'll improve the errors that don't hurt people and the errors that do hurt people. And then another thing is to consider is that a lot of the, the injuries that do happen, uh, the outcome severity level is largely based on luck. Mm -hmm. Um, not all of them, right? But there are some that, like, for example, if you're standing under a crane when it fails, the crane could fall and miss you completely, and you could be perfectly fine. Or it could kill you, or anything in between. Right. Um, likewise, if I'm, you know, driving through a red light, uh, I could get T-boned by a semi-truck and die, or I could not get hit by anybody, or I could not hit anybody and be perfectly fine, or anything in between. So those certain um, events occur have a very wide range of potential severity levels and a lot of that is based on luck but that's different than saying if i only focus on the minor severity injuries then that will also reduce the fatalities does that make sense right 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 yeah yeah so that's my angle that's why i would defend the triangle sure but i wouldn't defend that you know that logical fallacy and thinking that you know that we that we both agree on i think Right, and I, I think I think you're right. There's a there's a piece here that's super important that the common application of that theory, right, um, mm -hmm. was it was kind of in the original part that I take issue with that we kind of already mentioned that mm -hmm. we're trying to use the lower level events as a, in a predictive capacity. Right, we kind of go down this right. path of again back to kind of Heinrich's original stuff. Right, we go down when you get X number of this, which will eventually you should receive X number of this, which will lead to X number of that, and we even find that all the way back into just most of his works. Right. So in the application of that, we've led to my, my largest beef that I've seen in most organizations that have gone through the triangle pyramid phase is that we have entire generations of managers that think that their only job is to eliminate and manage small things. And the very unfortunate thing about that is, is it's not really that great of a task <laughs> to work on, right? Um, especially in and around fatality. So we, we've seen that um, kind of play out really in another fact that fatalities haven't reduced that much, if any, right? And most organizations that I come into contact with, 
their fatality rates are pretty much the same as what they've yeah. been for the past 20 years, right? The past kind of after that original curve downward of kind of co- compliance, then human factors and kind of into where we're at now, we hit that, that asymptote, right, within our data to where we've maxed out as good as the pyramid's ever going to get. Mm-hmm. Right, and we start to understand that the fatalities that we do have are outlier events. They're black swan events. They're things that, look, if, if we had a near miss that was almost a fatality, that's probably not where we're going to have a fatality at in the future. Right, we're going to fix that. If we have a near fatality, we fix a lot of stuff really fast. We can kind of close our eyes and imagine those near fatalities that we've all experienced in our organizations, right? When we have that, oh, crap, Bob should have died moment, right? Mm-hmm. We do a lot of stuff in and around that to try to keep Bob alive. Sure. Um, but so it's that, right? To me, to me, that's the super important part that yeah. we're still focusing. And I say we, just, just general terms here. Uh, most organizations that I, have, I come into contact with are, are well beyond the pyramid at this point in their life. But again, as I found out today, there's some some deeply held <laughs> feelings yeah. around this around this pyramid. Yeah. And then I'll get yelled and say, "It's not a pyramid; it's a triangle." Yeah, <laughs> oh, oh, got, well, it, right? well, got it. That's got funny. It. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, but geez. so it's 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 really important, I think, to 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 draw that out though. Is that if fatalities were predictable, they wouldn't happen. Right. And I think, I think it's that simple in and around a lot of my kind of end beef with that pyramid, um, again, mm-hmm. in the application piece of it. So I totally agree right. with you. If you're an yeah. organization and you have 400 fatalities in one first aid, there's probably something a little backwards, right? Uh, you know, so, yeah, generally speaking, it should play out in and of that way. It should be representative. But just overall and kind of going even beyond that into just general metrics and data, I just don't find them that super interesting anyways. They've already happened. Mm-hmm. Right, so it's kind of back to that part that uh, that we hear some some greater minds than than mine speak on, and Todd Conklin in particular, talking in around the con you know the context of an event, um, the consequent and the retrospective understanding. The, the data is, is is the consequence, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's the least important part because it's already happened. Yeah. So the whole point there is getting back into the context where it's happening. Right. And not worrying so much about the stuff that already happened, because I think we've approached this and I can just speak to most of the higher level corporate folks that I've come into contact with throughout my life. A lot of the focus on any form of data, whether it's put into a pyramid, a triangle, whatever we want to call it or not, whether it's trended, trended injury, this trended observation that no matter what it is, we're trying to think that we get to this point to where we can we can predict or forecast what's going to happen next. (laughs) And I think we've gotten to the point, most organizations, to where we're just so, we're, we've got pretty good. I mean, I think that's really probably part of the curse is that we've gotten so good that we've probably outgrown the pyramid to the point to where it doesn't carry water anymore, right? It's just, it just doesn't play out that way because even if we do have stuff that might be predictive of other things that would have been mm-hmm. that way in the past, if we have five ankle sprains right now, I would say that those five ankle sprains are vastly different, right? They're, they're, they're yeah. usually... Again, it's, they're they're just just totally different now, right? They're, I agree. They're they're just not going to be under the same circumstances. So learning from one isn't necessarily going to teach us a lot about the next one. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot yeah. of interesting stuff that we can continue to unpack there around that. But again, for me, the kind of overarching piece of that, I think, is that we've had an obsession overall, and at least I can speak to um, the utility space and some of the general utility, power, construction, maintenance type of stuff. 
that we've had this over uh, this the, this really over focus on thinking that if we just get the data right, we get enough of it, we'll mm -hmm. eventually be able to predict and forecast and prevent. So oh, it's yeah. still coming back to an over bias on prevention, I think, at the root of that. And that's a bigger problem than the Heinrich's Triangle. For sure. Yeah. I, I, like, you, you know, I did a video called The Church of Counting Things hmm. because <laughs> it's, it's like, especially in utilities, it's really this kind of fascinating thing that happens where, you know, you get guys who are uh, engineers, a lot of engineers, and these engineers are very metrics driven. And uh, what ends up happening is, is that they're good at their job. And then, they, and then because they're good at their job, they say, well, then you're probably going to be a good supervisor, a good leader. Mm -hmm. And that's not always necessarily the case, right? No, no. <laughs> but that's what ends up happening is, especially in an engineer heavy industry, you end up getting a lot of engineers into leadership roles, right or wrong. That's yes. just what's happened. And engineers are so metrics driven. And one of my fears is, is, well, let me step back a second. I think that the heart of safety is learning. Mm. And so I always like to look at, well, what's, what's a barrier to learning? Well, one, so one of my fears is that we actually have become so metrics driven, at least in the utility industry. And, and I'm not really sure if this is pervasive in every industry. I'm sure that many industries have the same issue, but I'm <clears throat> um, just speaking primarily for utilities right now that there's, it's almost a cult or a church where it's just, we have to count everything and it doesn't matter unless we can count it. And, uh, there's a, one of my favorite quotes. Um, I can't remember who it is now off the top of my head, but it's uh, not everything that counts can be counted and not everything that can be counted counts. Right. And we just try to spin our wheels. Some, at some point we, it's like, we just are spinning our wheels trying to say, well, how, what can we count next? And what can we mm -hmm. do? Like just today I was approached by, um, actually a vice president that said, can you go back and look at our, at our history and, and uh, categorize every single injury that occurred by body part? Hmm. And I'm just like, well, okay. I mean, if I try to think of like, I'm not so sure that that tells us very much because if you said an ankle injury can be anything, I mean, it could be caused by all of these different things. And you can't really learn by just looking at ankle injuries, right? The number of ankle injuries. So it doesn't really tell you right. much or anything. You know, like if, if you got a dog bite, the dog could bite you in the hand or the ankle or the leg or wherever, but that doesn't tell you anything about, you know, if you can say, oh, I have like, you know, like 12 um, ankle bites, well, it doesn't really help you prevent the dog bite in and of itself. It doesn't, what does it matter what body part it is, right? right so, right. you know, it's just like how, it's one thing to count things, something, but what are you going to do with it? You know, what does it tell you really? And, and it's like, Right, and it I, doesn't really matter. It's just well, let's just count it because that's like the church of counting things. Well, and I, I totally agree. And I, th I think that's that's probably um, you probably share this feeling. Um, it's the same feeling that we that most feel when when they see this information. We start sharing out, you know, well, there's been uh, 32 of this, or you know, your 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 dart rate is blah 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 blah, right? And we've all been in that that kind of meeting or had that conversation, right? We share that data and we just look at it. And go, I don't really know what to do with that. I'm a right. safety professional, and I don't really know what to do with that because it really doesn't tell me anything. Makes the number go down. Right. Make the number go down. That's really <laughs> that's, that's all they want. That's all they want. So, but, and but, I, so but, I, but, I think you know, up, yeah. upward is that information you know uh, kind of maybe important. I, maybe is that something that the board wants to look at the total number of recordable events that the organization had? Maybe, but downward throughout the organization, can you operationalize mm -hmm. that 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 information? No, it's it really has mm -hmm. no operational importance at all to mm -hmm. 
anyone downward <laughs> in the organization. So I think that's yeah. where you get to the point to where it's, it's that. It's that, that, that question is um, what do you count? Should you count? And I think that that is a greater question that we should ask. Should we count? Because I always kind of come back to that similarly back, back to a quote around metrics is that um, if you metricize it, it will be manipulated. That's what I'm getting at. Right. So, and I think there is something to be said about counting um, back to counting. What gets measured gets done. Right. And so we've, we've approached it that way for a very long time. Again, kind of back Mm -hmm. to old mindsets. We're kind of into some sacred cows here, right? Um, Back, back to some old, uh, old mindsets is that um, if you want change, you just measure harder. (laughs) Right. And we've kind of done that a lot and we've done that a lot with, and I'll, I'll, throw the pyramid out there again i'll throw down the zero thing again i'll throw down the all injuries are preventable thing again we've continued to say that stuff i just say we in general again and i just just industry at all in, at large right mm-hmm. i get it um, but we continue to do that stuff and just when it doesn't work we just double down right it doesn't work and we go man that didn't work do it harder next time mm-hmm and how does that translate down to the front line? So think about this. So, so and this this requires some social intelligence to understand. And and like I love engineers. My dad's an engineer. I have engineers in my family. So I love engineers to death. But th- this is a problem with engineers is that they tend to be lopsided in their in their um, skill sets and their intelligence. They're really good at understanding the nuts and bolts of how things work from a technical standpoint, but they typically are not very socially intelligent. Like that's a pretty common thing. You know, I, I went to a school of engineering, Iowa State University. It's one of the top engineering schools in the country. Lots of engineers there. I've had plenty of time to observe engineers. <laughs> and this is, a, you know, not every engineer, but engineers as a cohort typically lack social skills. And so, you have to have some social understanding to understand the implications of when you, when you, when you set a goal on a number and you start putting pressure and you start um, tying incentives mm-hmm. to that number going down. Um, you have to understand that people are consequence driven, and if you put the temptation out there to say, "Well, if you re- if you don't report this, you're going to get money," which is what it ultimately comes right, down right, to, right, if right. you don't report it, you have an incentive not to report. Well, you're, you're literally a, paying people to not tell you things. Exactly. Right. That's exactly what it is. Well, it's a conflict of interest <laughs> For sure. if you yeah. think about it. Yeah. yeah. And so if you if you put fear into people, the fear of losing their incentive or the fear of reporting, or if you make the process of reporting so painful, mm-hmm. you know, I've seen organizations that will, if somebody gets hurt or has a preventable accident or something, they'll set them down in a chair and all of their peers will sit around them in a horseshoe with the executives and they'll just grill them. Yeah. You know, I mean, can you imagine being in that hot seat, sweating bullets, especially if you're an introvert and you know, you just, that would be terrifying to some people. People quit their jobs over that stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So if you have fear, then I'm going to, I'm going to um, dip into uh, Deming. Mm-hmm. Deming said where there is fear, there are wrong figures. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> This is where I'm afraid. I'm afraid that, you know, you mentioned we're doing a really good job, um, but maybe we're just telling ourselves we're doing a really good job. Right, right. You know? Well, and I think it's... Like, it's are we? How do we know? You know? For sure, right? And I think it's, it's, it's uh, to kind of circle back a little bit to even the pyramid, right? Um, I think it's super important to call that out a little bit 
because what we found, right, and there's there's plenty of studies out there that show this, um, in and around, and again, picking on the pyramid, mm-hmm. is that if the pyramid were true, it would be backwards from what the studies actually reveal, right? Most companies that appear to be more unsafe on paper actually kill less people. So the pyramid's actually really That's upside true. down, right? Now, I can, there's several studies that are, that are frequently cited in aviation. I've, I've heard of several in construction, too, to where on paper, the company has more reported injuries. They have higher TRRs. Mm-hmm. They kill less people. Mm-hmm. So if the pyramid were to actually hold water, that would not be true. Unless there's a reporting problem. Right. And your data is just is just bunk, sure. right? Yeah. So and, and, that, and, and that's assuming one way that to making, check. Making, making a larger assumption there, right? Mm-hmm. Let's just assume for a second that they were, because again, this is, I'll have to dig those up. I'll see if I can dig those up and link them, link them down below. Um, I can think in particular in, in a couple of Decker's books in particular, he cites these studies as well. So if somebody wants to dig those up for me, they can. <laughs> but uh, um, So in those studies that were shown, um, it actually did show that several UK-based construction companies, um, you know, that, that, that they did the companies that had more injuries reported. So in theory, what we would say, well, they had more, so eventually they're going to end up killing somebody. Shots on goal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't. So again, right. it's kind of backwards from what we would have originally thought under that. Again, I would say probably the the general application of Heinrich's yeah. theory, the general application and use of the pyramid. And I think it does go back to a piece that you just mentioned that's super important. Um, the companies that I come from, the companies that I interface with regularly, they are companies of engineers, right? And you get in and around mm-hmm. power generation, utility, or construction, maintenance, ECM type of stuff. They're like 80, 90% engineers. And engineers love linear stuff, right? That's mm-hmm. kind of kind of what they like. And they like to try to apply that linear model to people. And that mm-hmm. just doesn't quite work out well. It fails. Um, right? And we try to apply that to accident causation too, right? And it, accidents yep, are not, they're, they're not linear events. Uh, exactly. And so, and we have been people, accidents, you name it, right? If you're trying to figure out why a pump failed, a root cause or some linear thing is probably pretty good. I mean, you could probably get down and find a worn out part or find something that's broken and say, boom, there it is. There's mm-hmm. our problem. We can work on that pretty quickly, fix that. We can examine our other pumps and, you know, oh, look, there it is. But when you start talking about anything that involves people, uh, yeah, it just doesn't work out too well. And I, again, yeah. uh, um, just to circle back to our original conversation, that's some of my beef with the pyramid too, is just trying to take li- uh, take a very complex picture and paint it into a linear picture. Mm-hmm. And it just it just doesn't work. Well, <clears throat> I agree. I agree. And, and 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 you know that's that's one way to interpret it. Like I like your example of, of the UK companies. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was thinking there was also studies done in Norway or some of these. Northern European I, I countries. So, and there's also several in aviation too, talking about the difference in airlines. Um, and the, the, okay. one, the one that I think was cited, I believe it was actually in, it might've been safety differently. I, I don't remember. It's, it's one of Decker's books, um, but it's actually talking about, you know, on paper, if you're looking at airlines, if you're choosing one, um, you should choose the one that appears most dangerous on paper because they have lower passenger mortality. Okay. Yeah. Because they okay, report so. more stuff, they fix more things. And it goes back to, I think we mentioned it in our, in our pre-call way back when. <laughs> was that general betterment through reporting means better is better, right? So mm-hmm. you, through all of that betterment, you eventually get to where you stop harming. Yeah. Well, okay, so going back to my mantra of learn is the heart of safety. If you have people reporting, that's communication, right? Reporting something up is just communication. Mm-hmm. That's just the employee reaching out to management and saying, and saying um, 
you know, this happened. Right. And communication is a cornerstone for learning because if you don't have communication, you're not going to learn. You're not going to know what's going on. Right. So in these, so I would say I wouldn't even apply to the Heydrich model because I think it's a completely different issue what's going on. I think that in the businesses that have higher fatalities but are reporting lower rates, lower like TRIR rates, um, I think that they're actually having more recordables. They're just not being honest with themselves about it. Systemically, I mean, they've built a system that has created fear, that has squelched reporting or had a chilling effect on reporting. And and what happens is – those hazards, those unsafe conditions, those latent organizational weaknesses go unknown, right? They go un- unnoticed and unfixed and unaddressed, unmitigated. And, you know, like I said, uh, a lot of the hazards have the potential to kill you, um, but oftentimes won't kill you. Right. You know, if you run a red light, it could kill you or you could get through scot-free. So there's, there's a lot of situations that apply to that. And, and so if you have a hazard out there that has the potential to kill you or the potential to, to just maim you or the potential just to hit, hurt you just, just a little bit, um, somebody may have had a close call or a near miss with that, but because they're afraid to report, they don't report, or because they're afraid to – and maybe they actually did get injured, but they'd rather just deal with it on their own than have to go through all the painful process that they that, – that whatever the system that that company has – you know, they just don't want to mess with it or they don't want to be the one to ruin the incentive payout for everybody or whatever the reason is, or they're just embarrassed. Right. Um, you know, you have so many barriers to that communication, to that report, that reporting process, which means those are barriers to learning. And so I think what's happening, and this is my theory, I mean, I could be wrong, but um, it might, my theory is, is that these companies that are reporting a lower incident rate are actually having injuries or just don't, they're just not, mm. they just have a problem in their reporting and their communication. And another way to check this in your own organization, like any listener that wants to is worried about this in their own organization, uh, one of the ways that you can kind of do a litmus test on your um, on your culture of reporting is identify um, like another metric that would would be in parallel with your recordables. So, for example, your first aids, and you know, like most companies don't set goals on first aids. They mostly focus on the total recordable incident rate. That's mm-hmm. the most common one. And so if there isn't any goal set on the on the first aids, then those things are probably not being subdued. You're probably getting a more honest reporting of your first aids. Right. And so if those first aids are on an upward trend, but your recordables are on a downward trend, you have you probably have a communication problem. Yeah, and I think there's a super important thing to call out there, too. You're right. And so I've seen that in other organizations, um, especially when you have that chilled environment. So you'll, mm-hmm. you'll notice um, not, not to drive consequence that much. Again, I don't think it's that super important. Um, but you'll start to see the total reporting going down. So just look at your data, right? I agree with you. That's a good, that's a good advice to anybody out there. Just look at your total overall data and just examine a little bit for severity. Yeah. Right, and you you you'll kind of see this really interesting piece where you'll see your total numbers of reports going down, but your severity of those few that are reported going way up. Mm-hmm. Right, and mm-hmm. that that seems to be a common piece that emerges in those places where it's like I'm only going to tell you what I got to tell you, type of thing, and I'm the stuff I got to tell you is the stuff I can't just carry out in my pocket. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so well, for sure, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say. So, so what is the remedy? Well, the the remedy is. Eliminate any barriers to communication. 
And the number one barrier is fear. Mm-hmm. So figure out, hey, that with this, and it doesn't matter, you know, what people tend to do to defend it because, you know, what you look for is what you find, confirmation bias. If somebody built that system and people tend to get married to their own ideas, mm-hmm. they tend to want to just stick with it. And so, um, you know, if you have an incentive payout that's not too big, the temptation is going to be to say, oh, I don't think that much money is going to cause anyone not to report. And then they just kind of um, say, ah, I'm not worried about it. I don't think it's going to cause someone not to report. Well, you have to understand that, like, one of the things my dad always used to tell me, like, like way back in the day when I was first learning how to drive, he would take me to a big open parking lot, and there would be, like, one light, light pole in the center. And he would say, okay, before we begin, I want you to take a look at that light pole in the center here and he says don't hit it (laughs) and i'm like uh yeah thank you dad you know captain obvious and he says there's always one person who would hit it you know there's always one so when you look at any sort of incentive program don't think well i you know well i don't think anyone would report based on you know a couple hundred bucks or a or a free gift or or a gift card for 50 bucks or whatever the incentive is there's always at least one and if we can acknowledge there's at least one, there's probably somewhere more north of that. There's probably a certain percentage that the temptation will be enough for them to not report. And then you're not going to learn about those hazards in your workplace, and that's not a good thing. Yeah, so it, t- totally, you know? it, it silences that discussion. And I think there's a piece here, too, that's important to call out is that the pressure to not report sometimes doesn't come from the individual um, – that really the person reporting. So most larger organizations have an incentive structure around or that have an incentive structure around um, TRRs or, or, or TRR or total number of recordables, dark cases, n- name it, right, pick, pick your poison. Um, that money usually gets a lot higher as it goes higher in the organization. Mm-hmm. So you kind of drive the wrong behaviors even all the way up to your C-suite. Yeah, where those guys, stacks. Uh, right, exactly. So those guys, uh, guys and gals, um, even a, a mid-level director is going, holy crap, this just cost me however many dollars, right? To, yeah. to your poignant employee, if that's incentivized, it's probably not nearly as much as how it's incentivized to your director, your vice president, you're kind of going on up that chain. So mm-hmm. they'll come out and kind of say some little speeches that might not come across that well. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> And they'll get on pre zero, and you got folks in an audience going, "I know why you're telling me zero. I get mm-hmm. it. I can only imagine what what this bonus looks like in your paycheck, right?" So yeah. it kind of, kind of perpetuates that that cycle. But you're exactly right. You get into a place to where you just don't learn anything. Yep. That's kind of uh, I've shared that quite a bit. That's a lot of my beef with zero in general. Is I think that I mean that's really what we're talking about, right? That's where where all this ends. Yes, um, because it really starts with the notion that all incidents are preventable, and I, I used incidents because that crowd doesn't believe in the word accidents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> it starts with the notion that all incidents are preventable. Therefore, zero is real, right? Um, and if it is real, we can eventually beat our way to it, or financially incentivize our way to it, or prevent our way to it. Uh, mm-hmm. And what we really end up with is in the situation where we're just blind. We're just exactly. operating blind. Because Black, deaf, people, and dumb. Right. People just will not tell us anything, right? And it, it still goes back to that same general rule around communication is that people will only tell you what you allow them to tell you, right? And 
if if you uh, if you make fun of your daughter's boyfriend, the first one, you're never going to meet the second one, mm-hmm. right? And that's kind of what we do. And so it's it's really back to that hot principle that management reaction or response matters a lot. Yes. Right. And I think that's the piece that's super important that we really have to work with leaders. You know, we really have to tell them what they need to do different. Yes. Right. And so when they go to, you know, we've, we've probably most of us listening have been in that situation where you have a leader that's about to overreact to something. You should probably step in and be that dissenting voice and go, hold on, that's dumb. <laughs> let's, let's, mm-hmm. let's not do that. Okay, listen, you're not going to discipline your way into getting rid of human error. That's not going to work. So let's talk about this a little bit. Right. And so, but that reaction is really what, it's really what influences reporting or not reporting, learning or not yeah. learning, right? And it really gets back right. to that, that general statement that you can either blame and shame or learn and improve. Yes. And you can't do both. They go in opposite directions, right? You have to, you have to pick one. Yes. Um, and you demonstrate that through management's response, through leader's response, through their and reaction. Yes. And that's, if you have that's the wrong great... incentives, you're going to drive mm-hmm. the wrong behaviors. We have to watch out for unintended consequences. You know, what are the things that we're doing you know, I'm sure that leaders are not tending. They're just not thinking it through. You know, I mean, it takes a, a certain level of social IQ to understand these, you know, these consequences. If you if you cause fear in an employee, there's going to be some of them that are afraid to respond. And that's just reality. That's human. And um, there just needs to be the understanding. I don't think they intend for that to happen. No, I just think no. it's they just don't realize it. No, and I, and I don't I don't mean to paint a picture at all. Um... Uh, that, that's mm-hmm. intentional because what I find mostly is that some of the most amazing and caring leaders on the planet just don't know how to demonstrate their care correctly. Mm. Right. It just comes across the wrong way. I love you so much. I'm going to yeah. beat you over it. <laughs> right. Yeah. I love yeah. you so much that I can't believe this happened. And it scared me. Right. It scared me. Yeah. I'm going to react really harshly because it scared the crap out of me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where it really comes from. They do care a lot, and it's almost to the point to where the care comes across as, okay, you scared me, and I'm going to react really harshly. Mm-hmm. Big, scary action. We've got to set an example and make sure this doesn't happen again because that was super scary. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, again, I, and if, yeah, and if you have that metric and incentive piece behind that, you're just driving those wrong behaviors even farther, it seems. Yeah, and you said, you said something that I thought was really good. You said you have to choose one or the other. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to pick the fear and discipline route, then you're, it's a fork in the road. You have to choose one. You can choose fear and discipline or you can choose learning. Right. Right. What's more important to you. And it, and it comes down to our priorities. You know, if we're going to say, you know, this will also comes down to like the concept of being a safety cop. And that's why I don't like HR meddling in safety because you know, HR is vengeful, right? That, that is the whole point. They, you know, they're the disciplinary wing of the company typically you know they're the enforcers and so um you know what what is more important to us as safety people as safety professionals what is more important are we more is it more important to us that some joe schmo you know doesn't get away with violating some safety rule is that what we're all about making sure that we you know seek vengeance on anybody who dares violate the laws of safety or is it more important to us to prevent injuries from occurring to people in the future? And that's the road we have to choose. Which one is more important to us? Yeah. And I would say anybody who thinks, you know, like uh, disciplining an employer, punishing an employee is more important than preventing somebody from potentially losing their life, mm-hmm. then they need to pick a new career path. For sure. And I think this is a super important piece to call out here. And, and 
So I, I understand, and I'm not going to pretend like I don't understand where they come from, because if you, you know, especially post something bad or not so great happening, it feels really good and like the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Right. It totally does. Like it's yeah. super satisfying, <laughs> right. For a split yeah. second. Right? right. So I understand where they're coming from. That need for retribution feels yeah. like it would be the retribution feels like it would work. It feels like it's the right thing. Um, but even if you just get to from a, let's just look at it from a really selfish perspective is that if we go down that route of kind of blame and shame, or even if we want to be all nice and warm and huggy and call it coach and fix, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're trying to fix our organizations one worker at a time. Yeah. That seems super ineffective to me. It's super ineffective. It's just not, just does not seem that great. Yeah. So what about the next guy? Right. You know? And so, so to your point exactly, um, is that if we really want to have kind of enterprise wide sustainable growth and betterment, um, capacity growth, uh, or just, excuse me, just, just general, general betterment, um, and building some margin there, we probably just want to learn and carry that through. Rather than going around going fix you fix you fix you fix you, let me wait till somebody else that somebody else messes up and I can fix them too, and eventually we'll swat all the flies and kill all the flies in the kitchen and everything will be fine, right? So yeah. The problem is that they keep making flies every day, right? Yep. Yep. And the windows open and the doors open and we haven't taken the trash out of the kitchen and we just can't figure out where all the flies are coming from. <laughs> right? um, but so no super. I think that's a super super important piece to understand is that. So that is a bias, right? That's something that we, we, we crave that retribution post not so great something happening. And we just have to understand that that exists. And we have to understand that going down that path of blame, shame type of stuff, it hurts us severely, right? And so I, we've done this thing where we've tried to use almost, and most organizations can relate to this, most people can relate to this. We've all got that one person or people in our organization where it's really at the point to where it gets to where there's a safety problem and we use safety as like the lever to get rid of them. Mm-hmm. So performance stuff is performance stuff. And I agree with you 100 bazillion percent that um, safety and HR should be completely separate yep. because performance stuff is performance stuff. Right? Yes. Safety isn't super magical special unicorn stuff that is automatically performance stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? So if they're having a performance issue, you should manage that like a performance issue. And it should be yes. separate and way outside of the wheelhouse of what we're talking about here. Exactly. If you've got a butthead, well, if you got a butthead, you got a butthead, right? I'm, I'm trying to not right. not use all my normal profanity because I don't want to have to click the, the mature content button when I upload right. it. So butthead is not normally the word that I would use. <laughs> if you ask anybody that I'm around or work around any given day. But that's, yeah, a perfor- that's a performance thing, right? And you manage that like a performance thing. And that's well outside yeah. of what we do and what we're talking about. I think it still gets back to that, that assumption piece or that really good understanding of human error that most organizations, most uh, places, we're, we're just now getting around to this idea that human error is not a choice. Mm-hmm. And we've, we've, in hindsight, it always looks like a choice. It does. It's totally, it's totally looks like a choice. That's totally why retribution seems like it would be perfect and make a ton of sense because mm-hmm. well, Bob totally chose to do that. Look how clear all the signals were, right? But mm-hmm. at the time, human error is not a choice. Again, if, if someone knew A, B, C, and then the step, you know, D was going to be, oh, Bob cuts off three of his fingers, he totally mm-hmm. wouldn't do that. But we, and isn't we that a punishment already? Exactly. And so, I, I, so that's, that gets into a little bit more of the, the deeper 
kind of dive that I like to kind of go into a little bit is, and I've touched on it, I think some in some posts and some here or there, definitely somewhere on the, on the, on, in the podcast, I couldn't tell you exactly where it's at, but most of the industries that we're in, we do extremely high hazardous work, right? And ultimately the worst thing that can happen to you in most of what we do is die. Right, yeah. die or be severely maimed, mm-hmm. <laughs> either which is not great. I just don't think that we need to manufacture consequence, mm-hmm. and that's really what we're trying to do, right? When when we're coming up with culpability, because it's not yep. accountability, it's discipline and culpability. Yes. What we're really doing is saying punishment. exactly it's punishment. It's the stick. Where what we're really saying is I'm going to make these consequences there. I'm going to come up with some consequences for you to keep you away from this. So you do this, the stick comes out. Yep. And again, we deal with extremely amazing and awesome folks that are the subject matter experts of what they do, and they're very well aware that that the that the, the result for not doing what they need to do can and is death sometimes. It's demonstrated yeah. daily, right? They know it better than anyone. Anyone else, absolutely anyone else. But for some reason, we still find ourselves in organizations going, no, we still need to manufacture some consequence there. <laughs> And so well, I, I, I get that. I'm, I'm not I'm not the safety hippie, right? I'm definitely not. Um, I'm probably closer to the safety anarchist in the world than I am anything else. But so there is a place for discipline. There is a place for all that stuff. But again, I think that's when you get down that performance road. Yeah. Right? Turn, well, turn, that, you... turn that down the performance road if it's a performance thing. But if it's a human error, mm-hmm. it's a human error. And we don't need to get into the place where we're trying to paint different shades of human error. Well, this one was at risk and this one was not at risk. And this one was, was an honest error. And this one was a dishonest error. Right. And then we yeah. said most, that's, that's usually a step in the maturity of most organizations is we try to do that. And then we try to couple or paint different shades of retribution based off of how bad the, the human behavior was. Right. We've all seen that table, right? We've all, we've all either seen that, have that, or have had that in our organizations at some mm-hmm. point where it's like, well, mm-hmm. that was an at risk and this was a violation and this mm-hmm. was a, and then there's some there's some there's some form of consequence on the other side of that. And HR was heavily involved in building that table. Oh yeah. <laughs> right. So if you got those, I would encourage you to go out and burn them and stomp yeah. on them and say that's dumb. <laughs> that's not what we want to do here because almost 99.9 percent of the stuff that we we paint out on those tables all under all fall under one category, and that's human error, and it was not intentional, and it was not a choice. Yes. <laughs> right? Exactly. So I think if we start with that general understanding. We've got to fix that assumption around human error. And I, I really yes. think that's it. Deep within our organizations, we have to continually chip away at, at our, our, our really just not so great assumptions around human error. If we get to that assumption piece and we fix that and we get to where we really believe in our heart of hearts and at our core that human error is normal and it's not a choice. I think a lot yeah. of those other problems that we've talked about up until this point start to kind of go away on their own. Because we just don't see the need in beating people over stuff that's human error. We're just like, well, duh, that's that's error. He or she did not choose to cut off their arm. Again, it's easy to blame the dead person. They're dead. (laughs) Right. Right. And as a safety manager, you really got to pick your battles sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I think this this is one of them that's worth fighting. Yeah. Um, You know, I've seen HR likes to use safety as the excuse to fire people. You know, all, you know, he was a bad employee, so as soon as he has a safety violation, then we're going to can it for that. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I'm, I'm telling you, if you have an employee who is a bad actor in general, there will be other performance issues that HR can use to get rid of that employee. That's what their goal is. Yeah. 
you know, do not let them use safety. I, I mean, I would just encourage. Magic lever. Yeah. Yeah. Just protect your territory from HR. You know, yeah. like you got to protect because what, again, it comes down to principles and, um, you know, you go to war over principles. You like, um, I think it was, um, Oh, who was it that told me this? Shane Peters, I think told me this. I really thought this was profound. He said, he said, uh, you go to fisticuffs over differences of opinion, but you go to war over principles. And this is strikes at the heart of safety, which is learning. And so if you have HR just using safety as a uh, chopping block as you know, a way to behead people, you are, they are completely undermining your ability to do your job well. Hmm. And it, you, you know, you, that you cannot stand for that. You got to stand up for that. That definitely is something that, that would be on top of my list, for sure. but you know what, but then again, you know, we're talking a lot about what you should not do, but I think we should talk a little bit about what you should do. Absolutely. Too. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And that's, we do that quite a bit. Um, even even in today, I was kind of ranting a little bit. Um, I rant in so many places, I couldn't tell you exactly where I was ranting. <laughs> but I was just talking about procedures in particular and talking about, you know, how, how we, we all do that, right? We've got to find our way out of doing that. We're, we're very prescriptive with what thou shalt not do just in general because mm-hmm. it's it's the easier thing to talk about it is you know and especially in and around this subject for us um most of us talking about human organizational performance and the evolution of our safety programs and how that actually functions in real life and how that actually works you know at the pointy end of organizations we're usually super passionate about that so when we hear a lot of this dirty nasty kind of stuff that's what we like to talk about yeah because <laughs> so, yeah. it is it's, it's super attractive and i go what and my head explodes it is. and i get to scream about it it's a lot right. of it's, true. it's super it's super but it's cool. greater it's greater to stand for something than it is to stand against something. Right. right. You know, and so you have to know what you stand for. And you, that's why you have to start with your principles and build everything on that solid rock of principle. And then what you do is you look at your practicality. What can I do practically out of this list of things that are principled? You know, and one of the things I wanted to share today, because I don't want to leave everyone with what you shouldn't do, mm-hmm. but I want to throw something out that I think you should do. I, I think an important part of safety is psychology. A lot of hop is based on understanding the psychology of the human. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, and of course, depending on what you should do, it depends where you are on your journey. So this may not apply to everybody, but but marketing. I think marketing is a very very important part of safety. And this is me as a corporate safety manager. Mm-hmm. So this is, you know, maybe it doesn't apply to a safety specialist um, or a safety supervisor that. You know, is it, this is more of a high level of thing, but I, I think marketing is so important. If you can get a message out to employees, um, you know, because this comes down to communication, right? So you have learning, and then communication is a cornerstone of learning. So building those two-way communication channels, um, the way the human mind works, it's a lot like Facebook Marketplace. You post something for sale, and it's right on top. You know, everyone who looked at the moment you post, that's the first thing they see. But then as people post other things for sale, it's kind of it starts to push it down further on the list. Right. The human mind is like that too. If you have something that you're focused on, and then well, as time passes, it becomes lower in that pile. And so every time you have a you, you you can talk to your employees about safety, it bumps that to the top of their mind. Right. And so there is something there, I think, when it comes to marketing for safety. Simply talking about it, it doesn't even matter what you're talking about, is just bringing safety to the top of their mind can have a positive benefit. Um, uh, there was this amazing study that was done at a university, and they took a group of uh, women, and they had them rated on their attractiveness 
by the student body. And the student body, um, uh, you know, would rate each one of these pictures. And what they, what the researchers did is they took uh, the women that were all rated as like, I think it was like seven out of 10. And, and then they did this experiment with that group. And what they did was is throughout one semester in one class, they had had these women go into the class and walk to the front and sit down in the front. And some of the women were there every class. Some of them only showed up, you know, 75% of the time. Mm. Some of them only showed up 50%. Some only showed 25%. Some of them never went in. And mind you, remember, these are all rated as a seven. Okay. Um, well, then they took the class at the end of the semester and they said, okay, we're going to have you rate these women on how attractive you think they are. And the, and there was a, a very strong correlation between the women who were there more often that they were rated higher as attractiveness. And so the lesson to be learned here is that familiarity equals attractiveness. And so getting safety out, making it familiar can go a long ways. Just, just that alone, just psychologically. And even if they're not reading the message, just seeing it pop up in their inbox every day, um, is powerful. And so I think the frequency, so frequency and saturation, get messages out to all your employees frequently. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the saturation is get them out to everybody. So, and that's, that's something I'll throw in, I'll throw into you really quick. Um, Mm -hmm. um, because you're, you're super familiar with large organizations, right? Um, Mm -hmm. any tips for folks out there on who struggle with getting stuff down, through their organizations because that's a struggle, right? That definitely that definitely is a struggle. I mean, I can I can speak to uh, to my experiences that that is definitely a struggle because we usually, for, say, from a corporate standpoint, we usually have these. And here comes my my super corporate speak voice: strategic channels of communication, right? <laughs> right? That we use to get stuff down. And this is something that I rant about a lot, is especially in around organizations that are telling me like we want to work on cultural betterment, whatever that is, right? Um, and, and like, well, that's going to happen through conversations. Like, I don't think you're going to put that up on the TV in the corner and just pretend, right? And I'm not saying that's not a good thing. Like, you probably should do that. I totally agree with you. Getting that stuff out, letting people see that, having keeping that conversation at the forefront. I think that's super important. I've used that strategy, especially in and around kind of origins of hop implementation in organizations. Is if you just keep talking about stuff, eventually other people start talking about it too. Right, and you just keep that message constantly in somebody's face, and eventually they start to absorb some stuff, or they go, "I think he's crazy. Let me go look up some stuff." Right, so at least they start to learn. Um, but that yeah. really long kind of piece there is kind of back to that main question: that um, any tips or any kind of input for folks out there that might be struggling with that at their organization, getting yeah. those safety messages through down to the permeating to the front line or to the front line leaders, or how do you get that carried throughout? Right. Well, you know, it depends on your situation, and that's why I emphasize marketing because it is a marketing problem. Yeah, no doubt about it. That is a marketing problem. I mean, that's what companies try to do with their products, right? They say, "How can we get this in front of people?" So it's not there is no silver bullet. It is it is uh, difficult. Um, you know, I, I did this long series of safety tips, and I would send them out to all the safety leads, and I had a large distribution list, and I always wondered. You know how how much did those permeate and i'd go out and uh i would do uh training and i would ask has anybody seen these and i would i I make them very distinctive i'd have a big bright color at the top and the bottom so that it almost looks like a monopoly uh, property card you know with like the big bright color at the top and so they're very distinctive and i would hold one up in front of the 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 people i was training i would say has anybody seen these you know because i'm i just want to know and most people would say, no, they never saw it. 
even though I sent it out and I have this huge distribution list and I, you know, try to promote and encourage them to share it and stuff. So it's something I struggle a lot. The way that I found is most effective is if you have a distribution list via email. Yeah. Um, that's the way we've been most effective at getting it to saturate. Yeah, because then you can get right in front of their inbox. You can send something the first thing in the morning, so it's the first thing they see every morning. And I, I found I found some similar success with that too, especially if you give them something that's super useful, mm -hmm. like something that's valuable. Um, I think something that's super yeah. cool too is kind of stuff that we get into a little bit, um, kind of in what we're doing right now. We're doing podcasts, playing mm -hmm. around on LinkedIn and other social media platforms. You can apply a lot of those same tactics to your organizations. One of the cool things I've seen kind of pop up in some organizations are vlogs. Right. And just super informal vlogs by leaders and folks that are just talking about stuff and then shooting those out to the organization. That's super cool. Yeah. Right? Because most folks um, like it, love it, hate it, whatever. You know, we're in most of us are in or part of or near the YouTube generation. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's how we like to get information. We like a video. We like an email. We like a something that's valuable, something that's kind of cool, something that's that's in, great in, in and around that vein. And here's a little kind of old school thing I haven't shared yet, but it's super cool. So I had this really, um, really neat, great, amazing site manager at one of the sites that I was at, um, a nuclear a nuclear generating station that I was at. And um, it was a little old school with communication, but this is just a really cool tip that I think most people can just take and use is that in those messages, part of those messages was, you know, he would go out and kind of do his weekly message with leaders and stuff and supervisors and say, I, I want this the information I want you to take back to your people, right? And this is the super stuff we need to get to the organization. Here's a message I want to share with you. And just for fun, he would throw in kind of the magic word, right? And just pick a random word, pickle, right? I mean, just name something, right? <laughs> and as he would wander around and speak to front end, front, front end, cold face employees, pointy end employees throughout the week, he would ask them, like, do you know what the secret word is? And it was just kind of a really, it's, it's super simple, right? That's it's brilliant. an amazing yeah. idea. It's just a way to bottom sound. It's good marketing. Right. It's just a way to bottom sound. And it kind of became his thing, right? That's They're cool. like, oh, here comes, here comes, you know, John Doe site manager. He's going to ask me what the site, you know, the secret word was. I said, well, I'm pretty sure it was pickle. Let me see if it works. <laughs> right? yeah, it's, so again, cool. it's just a way to try to bottom sound and see if that message is getting from where it's coming from all the way down. And I, I just always yeah. thought that was a super, I love that. You know, it, this, this guy just was phenomenal leader of people just in general. Right. And just have a full of stuff like this, but this was just Sounds one of like those super handy, useful things. And this will be the test to see if he listens, because I'm sure he'll send me a message if he hears me talking about this yeah. and not giving him credit for yeah. it. But this is your pickle <laughs> word. Yeah. But so, it, it was a, just a great idea on, on how you can bottom sound a little bit. So I hope that's something yeah. kind of carry away is that, I mean, I've used that here and there and everywhere just to be like, okay, let's see. Let's just test this out. Let's see. Let's proof this out and see if they're hearing what we're saying. Yeah, I love that. Well, and 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 you know, and, and to complete, I, I, there's something else I need to say. It's important about the the messaging. So you want it to be saturating. You want to get to everybody. So if you, once you've pushed that marketing challenge, um, and then you have your frequency challenge. Like you know, if you have it sending every day, you want it to be pretty regular. So you have saturation and frequency. The other thing that it needs to be is is actionable. Right. And that's one of the problems with if you message about uh, lagging data, uh, like, you know, your recordables, I mean, you know, it's OK to share uh, lessons learned and it's OK to let people know what's happening. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but you just can't get hyper focused on that on those rates. And and so there should be something actionable about it. And that leads us to 
the other thing you should be doing, which is your goals. You should take them and pick them up off of your outputs and put them on your inputs. What is it that you're putting into the system? And when we talk about leading indicators, I think that's a a lot of people struggle with that because you have to wrap your head around it because we're so used to doing lagging data. Uh, what is a leading indicator? And, and the, the best way that I've found to explain what is a leading indicator is simply whatever it is that you value, whatever actions that you value or activities that you value or system conditions that you value, that's your leading indicator. Mm-hmm. You want to encourage valued behaviors. Right, and I, I think that's something that's super interesting. And most most that listen out there have kind of listened to some of um, Todd Conklin's stuff talking around start mm-hmm. work criteria, right? And I, I, mm-hmm. it's the stop work. And I think that's a super interesting place that I can't encourage most people to kind of look at and think about tracking a little bit, right? Um, not metricizing, obviously, <laughs> kind of dumb. Um, but just thinking about something else to kind of look at way better than kind of a lagging indicator saying, well, you know what? We have so many people. Their essential controls are missing and they stopped work before they started, right? They, 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 they refuse to start work. That's a great thing. Let's celebrate that, right? That's probably a good place to look. Going out and mm-hmm. verifying a lockout tagout, that's probably a good thing to look at. That's that's well mm-hmm. on the leading side of things. That's stuff that's not, you know, again, back into the context of stuff happening instead of focusing about yes. all the stuff that actually happened, right? right? I think that's probably a good place to focus. And I think that's where you move that bar to mm-hmm. is let's quit focusing on the consequence that much because it's not that super interesting. It's already happened. Yes. It's already Michael happened. Jordan. Right. There, <laughs> there was an interview with Michael Jordan, and uh, I have a video about this on my Red Beard playlist, but um, Michael Jordan was interviewed after making the game-winning shot, and I think it was like a championship game. It was mm-hmm. a big deal. They interviewed him after, and the interviewer said, Michael, weren't you worried that you were going to miss that shot? It was like right before the buzzer, and it was the game-winning shot. I mean, it was high-pressure, high stakes. And uh, they said, weren't you worried that you were going to miss? And I'm paraphrasing, but he said something along the lines of, uh, he goes, no, if if I tell myself don't miss, what my brain hears is miss. Right. You know, and what, what he does is he visualizes success. And I think there's a lesson there for safety as well. Yeah. You know, stop telling people to fail less. Right. Like stop, stop focusing on failure. Focus on success. What is it that we're doing right? And let's do more of that. Well, and I think even just to, to the point that most um, organizations out there are really at the point to where they're they're um, they're really at the back to that asymptote, right? That we're really back to that point to where they've they've really maxed out their normal safety systems, right? We're mm-hmm. we're, we're really to that point to where we've gotten really almost as good as we can get with kind of traditional safety. So our data set is way small, anyways, mm-hmm. right? So let's just imagine that organization that um, is reporting everything. Right. Let's just say just everything within reason. Let's just imagine that we have that amazing make-believe organization. Um, even with that, we've gotten amazingly good at prevention. Mm-hmm. So we're not getting a ton of stuff in, right? I mean, so the majority right. of the time, our organizations are doing safe and stable work just about all the time. So just from that kind of standpoint of focusing mm-hmm. on the bad Continuous stuff that's already happened, just from yeah. a data set, we probably want to start focusing on the other side of that a lot more than what we do. Yeah. Right. So we're, talking all, we're about, always going to look at the the failure. We're always going to look at the kind of not so great stuff that happens. That's that's interesting. But what's really interesting is what's happening when nothing's happening. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that's mm-hmm. the more interesting piece is when 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 everything's functioning. 
when nothing bad is happening, what's happening with all that success? What's happening there? And I think if we dive down that tunnel, down that rabbit hole, I think we're going to find some really, really interesting things. Yeah. I think that's a great point. Because and what you're talking about is diminishing returns. Right, right. Well, it, it, let's say, you know, in this hypothetical, you've reduced your recordables down to zero or close to zero. You don't have, there's no, there's no low-hanging fruit there, right? right. Like, um, you know, like I always, like I think we talked about this last week, but, um, you know, I compare it to a jar of peanut butter. You know, your first scoop is easy. You get a lot, a big gob on your spoon, and it's easy. One scoop, and you got this massive gob of peanut right. butter. And you got big returns with just a little bit of effort. And then as you reach the end of that jar, the last scoop, it takes 10 times the effort, and you end up with like one-tenth the amount of peanut butter. Right. <laughs> and so if you're at that point where your jar of peanut butter is empty, basically, and you're scraping and scraping and scraping, the analogy applies to the industry. Like, you know, you're going to be spending tens of millions of dollars to get your incident rate down by a thousandth, basically. Right. So in this that's called diminishing returns. Right, right. And what you do in, a, in the spirit of continuous improvement is that you now shift to another metric to improve that metric. And then you op- that's like opening up a new jar of peanut butter where you just need a little bit of effort and you get a big gob of return. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of what you're talking about, you know, is right. you can't just keep focusing on the, on the one thing and bring it down to diminishing returns and just keep going and keep going. At some point you will be within statistical zero. Exactly. You know, any rate by itself you know, this is also one of my things is I try to um, erode the confidence of the incident rate because mm-hmm. people, they take it like the gospel. You know, like if you have an incident rate of a 1.12, um, it's probably not right at 1.12 as far as how you're truly performing. Right. It's probably 1.12 plus or minus some percentage. Right. You know, and if it's a, you know, I don't know, 20% margin, at some point you're going to be statistically at zero mm-hmm. where you can't measure you can't you can't measure the width of your hair with a ruler, right? Right. You just can't do it. So well, and I think it's um, I think it's super important to always kind of understand the, the true kind of vantage point for. for so what do you think about that? It's pretty cool, huh? I thought so. So like I said, part two coming next week ish. That's kind of the plan next week. Um, Nate's an awesome guy. Has a lot of really 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 cool input. Make sure you head over. Check him out on LinkedIn. Make sure you check out hashtag Safety Justice League. That whole gang of folks is just putting out some amazing stuff. Super cool. So check out all of them. In the meantime, head over to the website, www.thehopner.com. Send me an email, thehopner at gmail.com. Again, follow along on social media, all that kind of fun stuff. Thank you for tuning in. This has been super cool. I look forward to sharing next week's episode with you. Until then, bye, everybody. Bye. (laughs) Bye.